Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent, or a friend of the school. Or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the power of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. Some conversations are so good, you don't want them to end. That's been the case with our Why Poetry Matters episode. While we continue to practice physical distancing, we crave opportunities to be social and to come together as a community. Poetry is one way we can do that. And so we're happy to continue our conversation about why poetry matters, especially during quarantine. There's a risk involved. There's certainly a risk um, in putting something that's deeply from the heart, that's seeking communion with others down on paper for others to see, but it, it's a risk worth taking. That's our first guest, Teresa Montero, a graduating MFA student from the University of New Hampshire. Teresa studies poetry, and here she shares why she's compelled to create poetry as well. So, Teresa Montero, welcome to Montrose Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being with us. I was saying uh, earlier that quarantine is such a strange time, but it's a wonderful time to to meet new folks this way. So I'm so grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm looking forward to talking. Yeah, well, tell, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, I am not a person who's traveled far. I was born in New Hampshire, raised in New Hampshire, studied in Boston uh, at Boston College. Um, and lived in that area for a little while, and now I live in New Hampshire again. <laughs> I studied English and high school education as an undergraduate and taught high school for a little while, but for most of the past 15 years, I've been at home raising my children. Um, my husband and I have six kids, and they're wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, and as they started to get a little bigger, and life got busier, I turned back to writing, which I had sort of put aside when my oldest was born. And I guess my intention at first was to try to keep a journal, keep some kind of memories and and memoir type writing. And it just kept coming out like poetry. So I just began to pursue that more. I joined a few groups in the community where people come together and workshop each other's poetry. And then I applied to the MFA program at UNH, which is actually really close to my home. And I began there in the fall of 2018 and graduating this next month. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Why do you think poetry matters? It's a really good question because nobody really agrees on that. But I think the thing that we can all see is that we're the only creatures who make it. We, as humans, make poetry. We make words. Um, we make song. We make art. 
drawings, pictures, movies, theater, dance, and rest, the rest of creation doesn't really do that. So I think it's important to recognize that there's something particular about human beings in which that we're stirred, we're stirred to make art. And the beautiful thing is that art is not or at least doesn't need to be any kind of commodity. We don't need to sell it or buy it to appreciate it. Those things happen, but the that interior part of us that feels compelled to write or dance or bake or build um, is often just, I think, a part of our humanity and being made in the image and likeness of God. I think creating things is really fulfilling for us when a poet writes a poem and pardon the expression, but puts it out there, whether seeking publication or reading at an open mic or sending to a friend, there's a kind of seeking for a communion or a connection that says, do you see or do you feel what I feel? And that kind of generosity in a poem is what's attractive to me. Well, and that's interesting relating to what you were talking about just a little earlier about having a market or not really what you're talking about is the market we're seeking is a market of communion or a market of connection with our work and others through our work. Yes, I think so. And I think sometimes that can be lost. I think when it's probably important for all artists, all writers to kind of keep tabs on their heart, you know, why am I making this? Mm. Um, is that is that seeking of the heart still guiding me or is it something else? I mean, I think that's probably with, with all things in life, constantly checking our intentions and thinking about why we're doing what we're doing, but no less so for the making of art. Well, especially maybe so because you're talking about that self-expression and so the integrity of the work is paramount, regardless of how much of a connection it winds up having to others, right? You're you still do have to create from that purity of heart. Yes, exactly. Well, is there a poem of yours that you'd like to share? Yes, I thought I would read for you today a poem. And I can give you a little background information on it, if you'd like. Sure, that'd be great. The poem is titled New World Symphony. And it's what I think you could call a meditative poem. It, it begins with an idea and it sort of allows the voice of the poet, the voice of the speaker, the subconscious of the speaker to kind of wander a bit and see how things connect. And so it begins with this New World Symphony, which is by the composer Dvorak. And he um, used for the melody of this symphony an, an old spiritual hymn that was sung mostly in African-American churches um, in the last century called going home and the refrain is going home i'm just going home and he thought that that hymn was so beautiful he incorporated the melody into the symphony and i was listening to it one day and the poem kind of grew from there new world symphony water over my hands washing of all things a rolling pin I've tried making biscuits. They'll make me fat and the kids happy because they taste like butter and love. Dvorak plays 
a crying oboe and a crying child, appears. He's afraid of black holes because they swallow everything. Paper, rock, scissors. Here, I say, place your hand on the speaker. Feel the timpani and vibrations of a lonely violin, just like your own voice calling after me down a sidewalk the first time I left you at school. A ripple of sound I kept for the day, and until now. It's like that, the symphony shaking our house above our town through blue atmosphere and black space, bumping against meteors and comets cosmic pinball machine. Imagine the music from an immigrant's hand moving eternally through galaxies and maybe all the way to a black hole. Can you see the tiny felt pads of a clarinet obliterated by gravity, cellos crushed, the penciled notes of a wild-haired conductor dissolved? But these notes can't be unmade. They quiver along the edges of the vortex, singing, going home. I'm just going home. Well, Teresa, thank you again for being our special guest today. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much for sharing your work with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for remembering poetry in the Montrose podcast. It's so important. Now let's hear from one of our Montrose students, sophomore Jen Uche. Jen read this excerpt from Hamlet's soliloquy, Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I, for the English-speaking union National Shakespeare Competition. Am I a coward? Who calls me villain? Breaks my hate across, plucks off my beard and blows it in my face, tweaks me by the nose, gives me the lie in the throat as deep as to the lungs. Who does me this? <laughs> Swounds. I should take it. For it cannot be but I am pigeon-livered and lack gall to make oppression bitter, or ere this, I should have fatted all the region kites in the sky with this slave's awful bloody body villain! Remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless villain. Oh, vengeance. <laughs> Why? What an ass am I? This is most brave that I, the son of a dear father, murdered, prompted to my revenge by heaven and hell, must, like a whore, unpack my heart with words and follow cursing like a very drab, a scullion. <sighs> Fie upon it, foe, about my brain. Jen, along with Mavis Fahey from the junior class, was instrumental in setting up this year's virtual poetry jam. Listen in as members of the Montrose community get their poetry on. First up is Patty Keefe, teacher, mentor, parent, and grandparent, reading The Lanyard by Billy Collins. Hello, everyone. 
The Lanyard by Billy Collins. The other day, I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, moving as if underwater from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, when I found myself in the L section of the dictionary, where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one into the past more suddenly. A past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid long, thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one, if that's what you did with them. But that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted spoons of medicine to my lips, laid cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim. And I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here's clothing and a good education. And here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift, not the worn truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hand, I was sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. Now we'll hear from sophomore Emma Barry reading Do Not Go Gentle by Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, Because their words had forked no lightning, They do not go gentle into that good night. Good men the last wave by, crying how bright Their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay, Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight, And learned too late they grieved it on its way, Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see blinding sight, Blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay, Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. 
And lastly, we have a short original poem brought to us by seventh grader Olivia Lipson. Hope. It's the hardest thing to achieve, the happiest option available. The world needs it, although chooses other choices. Hope helps this world dance and sing, even in darkness, even in suffering. To round out our conversation, head of school Dr. Karen Bolin reflects on what it was like to tune in to the Poetry Jam. The Poetry Jam was awesome. It was just the lift and gift that everyone needed. And to see so many middle school, upper school girls, um, faculty, younger siblings, after school for an hour coming together to recite favorite poems, to share original poetry, it was just remarkable. I mean, these young women understand the power of poetry. I mean, the, the bard, the famous bard, historically is understood as speaking truth to power. And these poets in our community um, spoke about the truth of love and suffering, that they can coexist, spoke about the simple wonders of friendship, family life, and, and nature. Um, but it was the experience of listening to them. Um, poetry is music, and it, it transports us, it enchants us, and more importantly, it, it, it jumpstarts our heart. It kind of lifts us beyond the, the difficulty of these dark days um, and permits us to feel in ways that are, that are healthy and healing. And the, the power of poetry, it's, it's poignance and it's, it's brevity, it's music. It, it arrests our attention. It really stops us in our track and, and helps us take notice of, of what matters most. So I'm so grateful to our co-hosts. Um, this was a student-initiated event uh, and our school community came together and, um, and we'll share it. We'll share it widely because we all need a little enchantment, a little wonder, and a little heart healing right now. Thanks for joining us for this extended exploration of why poetry matters. A special thanks to all of our guests, Teresa Montero, Jen Uche, Patty Keefe, Emma Barry, Olivia Lipson, and Dr. Karen Bolin. Until next time, I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to donate to Montrose Podcast, your gift will go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep a Montrose education accessible. Thank you for doing your part to plant the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships and ensure that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world. Thank you.